is up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of PSA. I'm your host, Molly Lee, and I am so excited that you're joining me this week because we get to talk about one of my favorite things of all time, which is the royal family, specifically um, this interview that we got to watch this weekend with Oprah Winfrey interviewing Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Even if you hate the royal family, if you're not interested in them, if you don't care about like the drama or the tea about them stepping back and then eventually getting kicked out of the door, this interview, I think anyone and everyone should watch it and will enjoy it or learn something or take something from it. Not only was it obviously extremely hard for them to do this interview, I don't think anything about it was easy. I don't think it was about like you know, the clout chasing or, or the, the Ritz and Glam and like they weren't paid for this interview at all. Um, I think it, it was just as much about mental health, about fighting for yourself, about your well-being, um, about fighting for your family as it was about the relationship between the royals and like, you know, the British tabloids and all of that. And also, you know, there, there's a huge conversation about race that happens within this interview that was really heartbreaking to hear. It's like, you know it and you, you had seen it from kind of the media perspective or the perspective of the British tabloids. Like we had seen all of those headlines about Megan specifically, and then about Archie, um, when he was born, but then there's a twist where you start to hear a little bit about some, racist beliefs or conversations that happened or racially charged conversations that happened surrounding Archie within their own family. And I think that was a turning point in the interview. So again, I hope you all got to watch it beforehand. If not, you can probably catch up on CBS's website. But instead of like chronologically diving into this, you guys, I literally took eight pages of notes on this interview. Like, old school pen and paper notes. Like I grabbed the legal pad and I was jotting things down, pausing the interview because I was so enamored and so just wrapped up in what they were saying. I didn't want to forget anything. I thought there were so many good moments to take away from it. Um, at the same time, obviously you, if you've listened to my podcast before, if you know anything about me, you know how much of an advocate I am for mental health. You know how much of an advocate I am about counseling, about your well-being, about taking care of yourself, not just that, but um, especially from a societal standpoint about turning the conversation, uh, uh, like changing the conversation around mental health. I really want to hone in on that aspect of the conversation because I do want to explain like kind of the I think there were like four main parts of the interview. Megan really started the interview by first of all talking about her own kind of naive approach into the royal family which she had talked about how she didn't do any research into their family. She which I don't know that I believe that honestly like I don't, but that's also because I'm like a stalker sometimes, you know, like I, I look up everyone again, I'm an information junkie. I can't help it, but that's neither here nor there. So she had said she didn't do any research into their family. She didn't do any research into Harry, but also that brings up the question of like, well, it's not just that they're, they're not just celebrities. It's like the Royal family. Like you should, there are just some things that I think, you know, like in general, and she just, presented herself like she didn't even know that the simple things was just very, very naive going into this. So that really sets up a great framework about 
kind of the relationships that formed down the road, why some things were really difficult for her, and that that kind of thing. So she had talked about how the royal family was very, very welcoming to her when she first moved in. The interview really went back all the way to when they first started dating until obviously their engagement, the wedding, having Archie, and up until now. Um, but her her first thing that she really dove into was the press and the tabloids. And if you're an American and you don't know anything about the British press, they're relentless. They are, there's nothing really in the U.S. that can compare to it. It would kind of be like, um, maybe like TMZ mixed with a TikTok comment section and like an angry Facebook post, uh, debating religion and politics all like mixed into one times 10. That's kind of the, the British tabloids, just to give you a little idea. And she had really opened up about not only from being a person of color that was entering this family and having so many racist remarks and articles written and so much backlash that was, like, just really disgusting to read some of the headlines. And obviously, like, we lived through it. I remember seeing them all the time and just, like, wondering how these people were like with a clear conscience writing these headlines and these stories, it just seemed bizarre to me that someone could write that about a person. Um, so she kind of dove into that and how when when she became a part of this family, you're obviously like that's what you're signing up for. You're signing for signing up for kind of not signing your life away, but it's like you you lose a lot of your personal freedoms, you know, and she wasn't I don't know that she was necessarily prepared for that or and it's not even preparing for that I think you know you can argue all day well that's what you signed up for you knew that's what it was going to be but until you live that reality where you're not allowed to leave the house for months on end and you're not allowed to go have lunch with your friends because the press won't stop talking about you even though you haven't left your house for two months like you you can't ever make claims or comments or judge anyone else's experience until you've lived that so I can't even imagine um but so she started talking about not only the press and just how awful they were and just consuming and horrifying, um, but especially with the aspect of the racist remarks that were that were made in the papers, the racist claims, just the, the racist stories and headlines that were written about her for clickbait purposes. Um, and people were just eating it up and spreading it like wildfire. Like she just became so hated for no other reason than being herself. And she had talked about a really defining moment for her. Um, because again, when, whenever you join this family, they, they tell you about how they're going to protect you because it's not like you can just go right on Facebook or do it and Facebook live or like a YouTube video, my side of the story, you know, like you can't do that. You can't refute every claim. You, you lose that. You kind of sacrifice that or give it away whenever you sign up for this. Right. But she specifically talked about, there was an instance where this was now fast forwarding to after their wedding, um, like seven months down the road, right? An article comes out about Meghan Markle and Kate Middleton. And the article was about how Meghan Markle made Kate Middleton cry before uh, Meghan and Harry's wedding. And Megan starts talking about this being the turning point of her, of not only the press getting really dirty and ugly about her from that point on, but about 
that being the moment that she realized these people are not going to protect me. They're not going to protect me and my husband like they said they were going to. Um, because the story, again, was about how Megan made Kate cry. And I don't think Megan said this to drag Kate's name at all through the mud. I, I think, cause she, I think they were really honoring in the way that they did it. But at the same time, this is still a part of their story and they're finally getting a chance to share it. And so she had talked about how actually the opposite was true, right? That it was Kate who made Megan cry before her wedding. And she said, you know, it was a situation that happened. We, we dealt with it. She, like, she apologized. I forgave her. She sent me flowers. Like, it was fine. We moved on. And then seven months later, the story comes out. So whether it was a direct leak from someone inside, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily true, or whether it's just that, you know, people who were there tell a friend who tells a friend, and then they leak the story to the press that, is totally twisted. And I mean, the, the bones were there, the bones in the story were right, but the, the two main characters were flipped. So Megan's in the position now where her name is being slandered more than ever before, because these, the people of this country obviously adore Kate Middleton, you know, like that, that's going to be their queen one day. Because when when the only story that's ever being written about you is how awful you are, even people who are like, well, it's the press, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. When that's all that you hear for months on end, you start to believe it because you're not hearing anyone write anything else about Megan. Like you're that's just that's the only narrative. And when it's the only narrative, you you have no choice but to believe it. So she had made a comment that I thought was was really um, thought-provoking and true. She said, I watched the, the institution, the firm, um, which again, that's another separation that I'll explain, but she said, I watched the firm go out of their way to lie to protect other members of the royal family, but they were not willing to tell the truth to protect my own family. And maybe not even the truth about like, you know, clearing up the air that it was actually Kate and, you know, making Kate out to be the villain. I don't think that's what she wanted. I think she was just even meaning like a statement saying that that story wasn't true and nothing was ever said. So she talked about that really being the turning point for her where she realized I should have never believed that we were actually going to be protected. Um, so again, with the the big parts of this story the press was a huge one so not only personal attacks but these um like the racism that was very very on display i mean you talk about like a reporter had tweeted a picture whenever she was pregnant of two people holding the hands of a chimpanzee and saying like archie's born stuff like that it's like okay like the the words that they would use to describe megan like the the background that they would claim that she came from it was just all very steeped in racist ideology and beliefs and was like really disgusting to see it was horrifying to to dis to see all of these like collages in the interview of these mashups of everything that was said. Like, I can't even imagine not only having these things said about you, but not being able to say anything, especially for someone like Megan that for so long has not only advocated for people to use their voice, but for women specifically to use their voice. Um, I'm sure that must have been literally like a personal hell for her because that's what she like devoted a lot of her life to before she even met Harry. So you have this whole layer. They go on to show the differences of the the press and the way that they had portrayed 
Kate doing the exact same thing that Megan was doing and the way that they praised Kate for whatever it was, whether it was her like holding her baby bump and they were like, Kate's such a loving mother. She's going to be such a great mom. Look, she, she can't even stop holding her baby bump. And when Megan was caught in pictures holding her baby bump, the tabloids were saying like, how disgusting is it that she can't let go of this baby bump? Get over yourself. Like, you know, get your paws off your stomach, that kind of thing. Like, like get yourself together. So there's obviously this discrepancy in the media in the way that they treated Kate versus the way that they treated Megan. And so you're seeing, like, the racism played out that she's talking about. Um, you're seeing the just the, the tension that's happening. And one of the biggest pieces to this interview that I think was really great that they explained the difference of is obviously there's this piece of the media that played a huge part in all of this, right? Well, then you have the royal family. And when some people think about the royal family, you they just think of the family members. Some people think about the business that is the royal family. Well, when it comes to the business of the royal family or the family business, um, it, they refer to it as the firm or the institution. So, like, hearing Megan talk about the fact that, like, you know, they have, like, an HR, like, system at Buckingham Palace because, obviously, of the employees that work there. And you're just like, oh, like, you forget that it is a business. And as much as it, as it is their family and it is their duty, um, it is, it's a business at the same time. And what people don't realize is that it's not necessarily the members of the royal family that are running the firm or the institution. Like, they're not always the ones running the business side of things. So whenever they were talking about members of the royal family, they would refer to them that way. When they were talking about the system in general or, like, the business side or maybe people, it could have been some members of the royal family that were involved in this decision-making process about certain things. But in general, when they would talk about, like, the business side of stuff, they would refer, obviously, to it as the firm or the institution. So then you you see Megan talking about how she went to the firm to 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 talk about like everything that was happening in the press um her mental health started to deteriorate and they literally said that they couldn't help her right so then there there's a real turning point in this interview where it turns into um you know you hear about all the racism in the press the horrifying stuff she was having to live through then there's a real real turning point where there's there's starting to be racism and racist conversations within their own family. And obviously that's a big deal, not just because it's your family. Like even Piers Morgan, who is a very polarizing figure of the UK, had said today, which is one of the reasons too why I'm glad obviously my episodes come out on Wednesday, we could kind of see the 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 fallout or the the press statements that happened or like I was hoping that there would be statements made from the palace and there were so I'll cover those at the end but like I said even Piers Morgan had said you know I I wish they would have explained who made these claims because they were horrifying so there's there's a point in the interview where Megan starts talking about how there were conversations from senior members of the royal family to Harry about concerns or interests in how dark his skin is going to be when he's born. 
Now, these obviously weren't conversations of like, oh, I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to see what your baby looks like. It was obviously with the context of how Harry and Meghan explained it. The context of these conversations was, um, we are, it's, it's going to be interesting or it's going to be a concern to see like how, how dark his skin is going to be potentially. Um, and the, the royal family and the palace did one of the most bizarre moves of all time, which they made a statement, which, you know, again, power to them, that it was not Queen Elizabeth or Prince Philip that made that statement. The reason why I'm like, okay, well, why would you do that is because now they're confirming that it was either Charles or William, more like, like more likely than not, right? <laughs> so you're kind of like, Okay, so then, you know, then there's the layers of family where it's not just your family, it's the royal family. And again, like I had talked about Piers Morgan, which he had a full-blown meltdown yesterday on the news. It was bizarre to watch, like a toddler tantrum. Um, but he had even said that, you know, they they weren't saying who it was, but it is concerning. And they feel like there's almost a duty to the people to know, because at this point, if it's not Queen Elizabeth and it's not Prince Charles, but it's a senior or Prince Philip, but it's a senior member of the royal family alluding to Charles or William, then there's a potential that, you know, the, the future king of this country or one of the future kings of this country um, has a lot of serious like... <laughs> racist beliefs and tendencies and conversations and underlying tones that need to be dealt with, not just individually and personally, but because a large group of the Commonwealth is minorities or people of color. Like, that is just, like, I I think people have this picture of England being like this little whitewashed corner of the world. It is vastly diverse and not just like England and the UK in general, but looking to all of the other territories and areas that are under like British rule, like it, it's mass, like there's massive amounts of people of color that are under their rule. So it is concerning if one of the future kings of England has that mindset and has expressed that, which I don't know why they would lie about that. Again, they realize the weight of this interview, right? They're not, that's why I believe a lot of what they said is because they also understand that the the royal family doesn't do interviews like this. They don't like make statements like this or make claims like this. So major concern there. That was a major turning point in the interview. I, I like that was one of the most horrifying things for me to watch is not just like hearing that and really letting that sink in, but also watching Megan talk about that. Just, I mean, it was like heartbreaking to watch. It really was. So they like, you know, they, they've talked about all of this, about the press and about everything being so tough. Obviously now Megan is dealing with not only the press and the pressures that that has had, but literally you have your, your freedoms taken away. Again, people argue that you sign up for that totally until you live that. I don't think you get to make a comment on how easy or difficult it is. I know that I would die in that situation of like being isolated for that long by myself. So she's going through all of these things, obviously not having an easy time with anything. And then to now deal with all of this while you're pregnant with your first child, you're dealing with these conversations, not only about protecting your child from this, but it's coming from within your own family. It's coming from the press, everything else that they turned to the firm for help because Megan had talked about, um, opening up about 
having thoughts about ending her life and realizing that she didn't want to be alive anymore. And she said to Harry, like, I I want to tell you about this because I'm afraid of what I'll do if I don't tell you about it. So obviously this isn't just like, oh, I'm, I'm having some like depressive swing anymore. And again, with all of these parallels between things that happened with Diana and now things that were happening with Meghan and Harry, like it's not something that you take lightly or that you brush under the rug, right? So they went to the firm. So they they were talking to the firm about the support that they hadn't received, basically, like asking for any help, they wouldn't do it. And then Megan had said that she went to the firm and told them about her situation, asking if there was a hospital or a clinic or some kind of program that she could do because of the place mentally that she was in, of wanting to not be alive anymore, all of that. And she was told that there really wasn't anything they could do because of the way that it would look to the public. So this just, like, boiled my blood. (laughs) I, like mainly because I know the work that William and Harry and Kate and Megan do with mental health stuff, the charities that they have, the way that they support it, not only because of what they experienced um, in their life, what they experienced serving in the military, but the their experience with their own mother, that they are huge advocates for mental health. They're huge advocates for receiving help, for talking about help, for starting initiatives to make it easier to get help. And then to see and hear that Megan literally had gone to people and said, I'm suicidal, basically, I need help. And they said, well, there's nothing we can do because of the way that it would look, the logistics of it all, that kind of thing. That's horrifying to me. And that's not like, that's not something that you make up. Like that's, I just, like, so many people were like, it was the best acting performance of all time. There's no way that was true. It's kind of like, I don't like, I don't see why you would make that up. And from a counseling perspective, looking at all of the other situations of their life up to that point, it totally just, it it fits in to the timeline and the reality of a response or an outcome that would happen because of the situation that she was in. So, they don't get any help. Megan had even said, again, like she went to the HR department of Buckingham Palace, which is so weird to think about. But she went and talked to them and they said, hey, we, we've seen how bad this is for you. We've seen how like cruel they are towards you. But because you're not a paid member of the palace staff, like there's nothing that we can do for you. Um, and So she's literally stuck. She got into a place where she was brave enough to open up to her husband, bring her husband into the picture, right? And she's in a place where she's ready for change. It takes a long time from the time that you kind of like get to that place where you're needing help and recognizing that you need help until you actually like bring someone into the picture and then you're actually like ready to do the work. That's sometimes a really long and difficult process. It doesn't happen overnight of like boom, 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 right? So, and also this had happened, obviously it started from before they were even married now until, you know, you hear all of these, these comments that are made before Archie's born. And then now you're into Archie being born and this conversation's still ongoing of her not being able to receive help. And again, like you just think about, she's finally in the place where she's acknowledging that she's ready to change. She's trying to take steps towards getting help. 
and she's being told no. So as an independent person, I can't imagine that that like you there's there's not a more defeating feeling than knowing exactly what you need to do exactly the steps you need to take and not being able to take them and especially when it's pertaining to your own mental health so that's that was like the turning point and at this point in the conversation Harry had now stepped in um and they had recapped a little bit with him about just confirming some of the things that Megan had said or talking through a little bit more about them. But the mental health piece, obviously, for Harry was huge. And I, obviously, this isn't a surprise. He even alluded to it a lot. But again, the similarities between Diana's story and Megan and Harry's story was to the point that it was eerie. Like, again, not just the mental health piece, not just the tabloid and press piece, but you think about them taking their son on tour, just their demeanor in general, the way that the people like outside of the UK and even in the UK until the the tabloids got really bad, like the people on their tours just adored Megan in the same way that they adored Diana. Um, Like there's all of these parallels, even again, down to the interview itself of the parallels of that, that I think Harry obviously did what he wishes that his dad or his grandmother or someone would have done for Diana and not necessarily by taking that step back because they were obviously in a different position um like role wise but even just by by doing more to like combat the press doing more to say something doing more to trying to get help um and seeing that they were meeting at dead ends. Because at this point, it wasn't just Megan asking for help. Now Harry was also asking for help for them and for his wife. And they were still meeting roadblock after roadblock of no's. Like, you can't receive help. And them not defending them or helping them out with the press. And it's not that you're just expecting someone to defend you and have your back. It's like, that's your lifeline because you you are physically not able to say anything. So they are the PR firm. They are the people that say that say stuff to the press, right? And they're, they're just unwilling to do it. Or there were strategies in place that they just didn't see it as useful or beneficial or a big enough story that needed for someone to say something. But then it spiraled into so much more. So at this point of all of these years of frustration now at this point of now this really serious crisis happening within their own family and their own mental health and well-being and being told no having no support in that either and now with the piece of seeing all the parallels between his own mother and his family now I think he did what any father what any husband would do and he put his family first he did the best thing for them And unfortunately, because he was a royal, it was very scandalous. Now, here's something important is as someone that is a dumb American, you know, for a long time, I I thought that they had left. I thought that they were completely stepping away. Well, I and then I figured out later that it wasn't that. But they explained it really well in this interview that there are senior members of the royal family that are like the senior working members, which is what they were. It's what Will and Kate are. Um, It where you are the ones that go out on the tours, you're the ones that do a lot of the engagements. It's like you are the the face of the people, the senior members where you're getting to do all the stuff. Then there are other members of the royal family, lesser members if you want to call them that. I don't know that that's necessarily how it's viewed, but they just wanted to take a step into like out of that senior working member role 
so that they were out of the spotlight a little bit. They were able to have a little bit more freedom and flexibility to raise their family. That's when they decided that they were going to move to Canada so that they would still be like within the Commonwealth, but not like, you know, having a little bit of distance between the British tabloids that had literally like ruined their life for a big portion and just were very, very cruel and unkind. So you're seeing all of this now, right? And they were just going to take a step back and that was agreed upon. It was fine. So at this point, like they, they're in Canada, they're living their life there. And then they get told that their security detail is like not going to be available to them anymore. So for the first time in their, in his life, he's without security. At that point, they were told that a decision was made that they were no, they would no longer be working members of the royal family either, and they were getting cut off. So that's why they ended up in LA. They ended up at Tyler Perry's house, and he also paid for them to have security guards um, for like three months or so while they moved and adjusted, which I just love the idea that the queen had to like Google or search Tyler Perry and ask about... um, like the Medea films, you know, I hope she watched Medea Goes to Jail. That's my favorite one. It's just a bright spot to think about. But throughout this whole interview, I think it is really important to say that Megan talked about how lovely and kind the Queen has always been to her, how she shared a lot of really sweet stories about gifts that the Queen had given her or just moments, like sweet moments with the Queen um, and like little funny moments with her. And Harry even made a comment that you know, he's talked more to his grandmother in the last year since stepping away, since that, he, like, more than he has in the last few years combined. And so, obviously, their relationship, like, and even on, um, in this interview and the one that he did with James Corden, he talked about them Zooming with Archie and just the relationship that they have. It, it seems really sweet and obviously very genuine. They were so honoring, even when they were sharing really hard parts of their story or like having to bring other people into the picture, I think they were still very honoring with what they said. Um, Now, there was some tea spilled where Harry said that, like, Charles didn't talk to him for a long time, and basically, like, his relationship with his dad and brother is pretty bleak. So he had shared that they're not, like, that the separation and the distance was there and that, you know, it it takes time to heal a relationship and heal those wounds. What else were my takeaways? Yeah, the the symbolism or the similarities between Diana's story and Harry and Meghan's, I think that's really what writes the story here of the symbolism between that and Harry at the end had even said if we would have gotten support there's no question that we would still be there if we would have had the support that we were wanting and needing at the time so that's with some of the bigger press stories and again they weren't asking them to shoot down every single story that came through and the support obviously of the mental health piece between Megan and Harry and everything else so They said if they would have had support, there's no question or no doubt in their mind that they would still be there, that they they never wanted to not be working members of the royal family. They even said now that they're not working members of the royal family, that they still want to support the queen and everything. They still want to like be like if they're called upon, they want to be useful and be of service. But that that was never their plan was to step back. They said literally they they tried everything to not get to this point. 
and just nothing was happening. And I think it, you, you could really feel the desperation that they were talking about in that moment. Um, and like I said earlier, we're never fully going to hear both sides to the story because that's just not how the royal family operates. Like, they don't do stuff like that, which is unfortunate because I, th- I think it would be interesting just to see even maybe some people own up to things or talk about things or the tension or stuff that happened. Um, it would just be interesting. But yeah, I, I mean, overall, I thought this interview was so well done. I think the piece about mental health was so key because it also shows that they it's not like the royal family was not awakened to the importance of mental health. There are still some people in the world that do not recognize the importance of mental health. They don't view it with the same weight as physical health or with um, or with even mental health being real or being a concern. Right. And the fact that the royal family understands mental health, they literally have charities and do work to support mental health, to talk about the importance of mental health, to get people resources for mental health of all ages, of all, you know, everything. And to hear this story come out from the palace that the reason that they left really was from that lack of support when they needed it and asking time and time again. And again, this wasn't something that they asked like three times and they were told no. And they were like, well, we're leaving. This was over the span of like four years now, you know, of like just continually getting denied. And again, Harry on his own had made three different statements. He said, I made one as a boyfriend One is a husband and one is a father to the press about my family, about their attacks, about their unfair character assassinations, that kind of thing. And it just fueled their fire even more. So he even said that, which I didn't know about this, that there were over 70 female members of parliament on both sides that criticized the tabloids for um, their treatment of Meghan and basically like the colonial undertones and racist comments that were made about her and about Archie that were very unfair. And he's, he talked about how much that hurt that members of parliament were literally willing to give a statement who were on both sides of the political spectrum there that came together to make a statement in support of Megan. And the palace was not willing to do that. They just continued to see her become this hated villain for literally no other reason besides existing. And in some cases, being a woman of color. I I just think the interview was very well done. I think it took a lot of bravery and courage to do it. Um, Again, there were some things that they said that I think like, which I, there were some points that Oprah really pressed on and asked more questions when I could tell it made them uncomfortable. Um, like when they were talking about the security being drawn back and getting cut off when she was like, but you can't have the best of both worlds, right? Like if you're going to take that step back, there are going to be changes. And I just think it was all really well done. I think it gives you even more of an insight into the royal family. And kind of like I mentioned earlier with this Americanized viewpoint, right? Like we are, as Americans, we are obviously very individualistic as a society, as a whole. Like, the American dream is called that for a reason. It's like this individual drive. It's this belief of making your own dreams happen, of taking things into your hand. And so, obviously, that side of me completely supports and loves that Megan and Harry, like, as difficult as it was, I don't doubt that that was probably the the without a doubt the most difficult decision they've ever had to make as a family um and even this interview was probably one of the more difficult decisions that they'll ever have to make in their life um 
like that that side of me praises them for doing that thing to to be their healthiest selves their healthiest family like the to be those people that they needed to be for one another that side of me praises it there's also the side of me that understands there is that role of duty to country um and and it's kind of like harry's having to balance duty to country duty to self and duty to family now and so at the same time, I still understand, which I guess this is an unpopular opinion. I do understand the people who are like British citizens or people that are like in the Commonwealth that don't like the fact that they've left and have have made the claims of, well, you knew what you were getting into or you should have known what you were getting into. Um, lots of claims of like Meghan and Harry playing the victims and all of this. Honestly, I, I didn't feel like they were playing the victim because I felt like they still owned up to some stuff that they had done wrong or just talking about like that they were in the process of healing right now from a lot of hurt. Um, but, but people who are, are victims like always like point the other finger. I I think it it takes a lot to also say that like they were broken and Harry had even said in that moment like it took him a little bit longer to talk to his family about Megan needing help because of the stigma that's attached to it of either him as a father or him as a man not being able to help his wife but also of Megan needing help that it did take a little bit longer for him to say something because of that so they they were owning up to things that they did wrong like and I, I do think, obviously, your reality and your experiences write the story for you. So there, there are always two sides to every story, of course. But I think that it was obviously very difficult. I don't think this was an easy decision for them to do this interview. And I'm glad they did because I think it not only shed a lot of light on the, the detrimental effects that the, the press and media can have on someone's life, like they're just trying to make a living. They're just trying to get the views, get the clickbait, but they don't realize that those are real people on the other end of it. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. There are other people on the other end of it that, like, you even think about, like, people who, like, trolls that comment on stuff. Like, they don't care. They're just trying to get their high. They're just trying to get their clicks, whatever. But you read that, and it, like, does something to your spirit because it it does affect you. Um, because it's real, like, you know, social media for the longest time was not real. It's real now. It's a real part of society and it's changed. And that's something else that Harry had said of, you know, that he wishes the royal family would would see and realize that like history repeats itself and be able to do something about it. And he was like, you know, obviously this felt very similar to everything that happened with my mother, but now you're adding in factors of race and social media to the equation now, and it makes everything infinitely more difficult and like more of a dire situation. So it was a really fantastic interview. I think Again, it shed light on so many important things about how you can be an advocate for mental health. You can have like the knowledge and understanding about mental health, not just mental health, but also of racism. You can acknowledge racism. You can be doing things and making statements like as a family or an institution to combat racism and like to help to give resources for mental health. But that doesn't mean that they still don't exist under your umbrella. So it's about constantly refining yourself, asking questions. And the thing too is like, Harry loves his family. Megan loves that family. They love the UK. They they didn't want to leave. This was not a part of their plan. They felt that they had no other option, right? So the thing is like, 
gosh, I don't know, like people ask this question of why would they do that interview if what they were wanting was to not be in the public eye anymore, to have the the press and the tabloids stop talking about them, that kind of thing. I think at some level when the press and the tabloids have completely destroyed and devastated your life for the last year, have assassinated your character, have um, made really racist, racist comments about your family, that at some level, the media might be the only place that you can turn to have your voice heard in that situation. But they got to do it in a really special way with a trusted friend, with someone outside of that realm of the British press, and they got to reclaim a part of their story by sharing what they had walked through. So, I mean, again, there's nothing in me that that is like highly suspicious of what they said in the sense that any speculation that they would be lying. Um, but at the same time, like I, time will tell, but the, the palace did put out a statement that they are doing an internal investigation into the claims of Megan not being able to receive help. And I hope that there's actual progress that comes from that, not just a, well, we did the investigation and nothing was found. Like, I hope that there's something that's put in place because here's the thing is if Megan is experiencing that, it's not just Megan. And that's another reason why people who watch this interview will say, oh, well, she was just being whiny or that you should have known what it was like. Oh, you're depressed, sad, you privileged little girl. Like there's no, no one's saying that they're not privileged. They are, they are maybe the most privileged people in the whole entire world, the royal family, right? But that doesn't mean that you don't struggle with mental health. That doesn't mean that it doesn't affect other people. And if it was affecting Megan in that way, then there's no doubt that there are other people, multiple people, probably lots of people within that family that really could use help or really desperate for help or at one point were desperate for help and couldn't receive it. So I think it was really impactful. I think it's a lot. I think it's a much bigger deal than a lot of people realize. So let me know your thoughts this week. And if you haven't watched it, it really is a fantastic interview. Also, if you are someone who's under the queen's rule and you have an opinion or, or can, or want to educate me or fill me in on anything, please reach out. I would love that. I would love to, I've seen stuff on both ends of the spectrum from obviously people with that worldview, with that experience, obviously people in America, I've seen everything on both ends of the spectrum here. So It'll be very interesting to see how everything turns out in the next few weeks. I hope there's a lot of change and progress that comes from this. Um, all right, guys, you can follow me everywhere on social media at mollylee31. You can follow the podcast on Instagram only at Painfully Self Aware Podcast. I love you guys. I hope you have a great week. I loved this interview. I'll probably watch it three more times, probably take six more pages of notes because I'm the worst. Um, but I love you guys and I will talk to you next week. See ya.